0: Welcome, welcome, welcome to Bard's Backlog, episode number twenty nine. I am your host Josh Gallegos, the video game bard. Joined as always by the casual Jared Benson. Although Jared, you might be upgrading yourself. We we might need to find like what that next level is for you. I was um, just
1: thinking the other day. I was like this podcast could be renamed uh the 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 sensei and the padawan <laughs> or or <laughs> the the video game connoisseur and and the newbie or something like that because I do feel like this podcast is for me at least, a huge part of it is the journey that's going from me, you know, and you introducing me to all these different genres and all these different things. Sure. things and, it's and you so saying fun. to me, hey, let's play this game. And I'm like, what is it? And you're like, okay, this is a platformer. It's this and there's the history a little bit. And right. So, yeah. So yeah, yeah, yeah. It's great.
0: No, it's so fun having, I mean, honestly, like just someone who I can like expose some of this stuff to because it's stuff obviously that i love and you're just a willing participant and i I do sometimes abuse that (laughs) but um at the same time you've definitely like gotten to a point like i don't know is there like an in-between between between padawan and jedi master like is there a step (laughs) in the middle there somewhere
1: i don't know i guess it's the fork when you choose the for the dark side of the the you know (laughs) yeah good i guess i don't know (laughs) i just
0: i don't know casual like you're you're beyond that to me now i think Um, okay i mean you're you're finishing horizon zero dawn on hard you you full completed the game for today so like as far as i'm concerned like that's gamer cred you know like you're you're compiling that stuff and you have been pretty consistently so
1: i'm flattered i think relative to you though i'll always be a casual
0: yeah i mean i've got like what 20 years on you
1: (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) at least yeah
0: (laughs) it'll take some time but uh nonetheless of course this is bard's backlog the ever-growing catalog of video games inducted into the hall of games we are the gatekeepers and subsequent executioners of any video game candidate that fails of course to make it including today's if if it makes it then we don't execute we uh We could chunk it. We put it into the Hall of Games. So, of course, you can write into us. Email is askvgb at gmail.com. Again, that is askvgb at gmail.com. You can support the podcast by giving our social media posts a like, following us there on your podcast service of choice, and by dropping a review for us on Apple Podcasts. We accept all honest reviews as long as they are five stars. Last time, we talked about... Horizon Zero Dawn and man, Jared, am I so hyped for Forbidden West? I had not been, I had been media blackout on Forbidden West. And after playing Zero Dawn, I just had to take a peek. And someone, I think it was IGN, had just put up like a bunch of like little details from their preview. And so I was watching that video oh my goodness i was like this is right around the corner literally was it five days six days or something until that game comes out yes yeah it's the end of next i am on the hype train my friend that and elden ring like this month yeah uh, i'm so excited it's it's gonna be a good one but yeah yeah, go check that one out horizon zero dawn obviously in the hall of games looking forward to its sequel before we get started though jared question for you What is in your mind the best standalone Marvel movie? So, so by standalone, I... just to clarify, I would say okay. it, it's not a team. Well, now I even take that back. Maybe it's it's just not an Avenger film. So, it can't okay, be. Anything, yeah, any anything outside
1: the four Avenger movies? Okay.
0: I think so, yeah, because you can. You can kind of point at some of them as like team ups, too, you know, like Thor 3. um, And I mean, the new Spider Man with Doctor Strange in it. But I don't know if that disqualifies it as a standalone thing. And sequels, too. Like, you could say, yeah, it's a sequel, so it's not a standalone thing. But I would say, in my mind, that those tend to be also standalone but avengers you have to like have watched everything else in order to enjoy those films i feel like correct Yes. so i would remove those but the others the others that have been released what would you say is the best sure there's so a lot of them
1: to, yeah there is it, it's down to two for me so let me go, walk you through my thought process thor the first thor movie is too weak in my opinion it's like a clear like it's too weak of a movie mm-hmm. um Black Panther got politicized. Fantastic movie all around. Great characters, in my opinion. Um, Although the protagonist was like kind of oddly centrist, and I guess you could call him like weak in his lack of conviction, I suppose. But Black Panther is great. But it got politicized at the time when it came out Uh in twenty eighteen. It was like, oh, you know. It has a very
0: strong political statement to it, though. Like it's not trying to not be political.
1: But correct, correct. It really did embrace it, and then. So that's that. Guardians of the Galaxy is just not quite my style. The first one was great, but like, I do like movies to have a proper balance between like taking themselves a little seriously and not. And I felt like, I don't know, holding hands to defeat the baddie towards the end kind of washed away any chance of seriousness it could have had. But it was served as a crucial introduction. I haven't actually seen the latest Spider-Man movies. I will say this. Um, In terms of morals, uh, and so that leaves me with, like, Ant-Man's too goofy for me, and then um, Black Widow, while she, while that was a great movie, the most recent one with, like, her sister and father and whatever else, it was too, like, I don't know, it just, I don't know, it's just out there, I don't care for that, and then Captain Marvel's weak to me, um, so it comes down to three, in my mind, that three of the best movies are Iron Man 1, um, Captain America, the first one, um, and I think that's because you need Winter Soldier, you need the first one to have Winter Soldier and the third one and Civil War. Yeah. Um, and then the other movie is um well, now it's escaping me all of a sudden. So um Well, that's embarrassing. Iron Man. Oh, oh, Spider-Man the, the, No, the first Spider-Man. Okay. Um Doctor Strange was a little too comic booky for me, I thought. But what so anyway, those are the three. So the first Spider-Man is incredible. It's fantastic because and you're um, talking
0: about homecoming,
1: yes, Tom Holland, yeah, Tom Holland, yes, but I okay. mean, like, I mean the yeah. one, yeah, that's not far one. from home, yeah. yeah, homecoming, yeah. Sorry, pardon me. Um, so that's great because of like Zendaya's father ends up being the vulture. That's an incredible moment. That is an absolutely insane moment. Well, not Zendaya,
0: but the other character. Yeah, <laughs> the, the whatever. Chick that her... He has a crush on in that one. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. that whole twist was amazing, and I love that homecoming was... too because it's so. Dude. I, um, it's so local. Like, yeah, dude, it's a small scale movie, which I love. Yeah. I love that. And
1: and Michael Keaton as the baddie was so compelling, bro. So, like, yes, it's down to that one. And then I would have said Iron Man one because Iron Man, still to this day, when he, when you have the music playing, you know, you know, that kind of the, the drum riff and the whatever else as he's suiting up for the first time in that silver unpainted suit, yet. And then he flies out of his garage and he goes – he has that scream that's only Robert Downey Jr. can pull off. And you, you just right. get goosebumps because that is the – and especially as you think in retrospect, that's the moment that kicked it all off and awakened the inner Marvel fan and powered this franchise to the largest franchise ever created and going strong. So that's one. So if I had to rank them, I would say Spider-Man Homecoming uh, in third place is the third best standalone Iron Man, because it started it, but also that Goosebumps every single time. But number one has to be the first Captain America. And the reason why is because it's so hype, it's historical, and it has a a great, solid, moral fiber to it um, Mm. all the way through. And Captain America is a stand-up guy. He's not a hyper-nationalist, although nationalism gets a bad rap. I don't necessarily have an issue with it. It depends on how you define it. But like... Proud patriot, but also perfectly willing to admit there are flaws in the system and work to fix them and do his part and have his best girl when he's committed to and he's not hoeing around. You know what I mean? Like there's no moral (laughs) fiber in Iron Man. You you know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah. And there can't be too much of one in Spider-Man because he's too young. So it's like it's more cute. So I think – Personally, the best standalone Marvel movie, as far as like just such a solid all-around package and one that sets the tone, especially for how the Avengers are gonna go, has to be the first Captain America. So sorry for nice. the long explanation to the simple question, but let me hear your thoughts. What are your thoughts?
0: That's a good. That's a good uh, logical sequence of um, titles there. the The first Captain America has always been disappointing to me, but going back, it really does hold up, and it is very entertaining. I mean, you get. Um, uh, his name just escaped me. But you got Stanley Tucci as the German scientist. Oh my and then goodness, you have, yes. Uh, who's the... What's the general guy's name? I can't for some reason... I know uh, his face. He's a... Tommy he's Lee a Jones. World, Tommy Lee Jones. Yeah, he's a world-class yes.
1: actor. Dude, a great cast all the And
0: Yes, so funny. Like they're, Like, the energy in that film is really uh not talked about enough. Uh the the big problem I have with it is it doesn't really deliver on the action side of things at least for me. Um and then the second one just does everything so much better. And so I tend to say Winter Soldier is my favorite Marvel movie and also my fa- one of my favorite movies of all time. It's one of the my top three. Oh, yeah. Just because oh, Captain yeah. America was already one of my favorite characters and mm-hmm. to see that fully realized Winter Soldier was awesome. And also I would say Civil War is Gets disqualified as well. That's like basically an Avengers movie. Basically so. an Avengers movie, yeah. Which was so disappointing to me, honestly. Like, I wish they had just made that an Avengers movie and had Captain America do his own thing. Because it was like not a Captain <clears throat> America movie anymore. I mean, it was. Like, he was definitely the center and his situation with Bucky and everything. but
1: Correct, yes.
0: Disappointing. I'd say, standalone best has to go to the first Iron Man. Fair um, enough. Just because of its legacy. It still to this day has a style that none of the other Marvel movies have been able to pull off. Dude. It just Like I saw someone tweet a gif of the Iron Man suit like landing and then turning when it when he goes to go take out those soldiers and he like shoots the tank and turns around like the whole like explosion and walking away moment. And someone said like the Iron Man suit still has not looked better than this to this day. And it's like you're totally right. Like once yeah. they got to the Disneyfying CG yep. level of it. Iron Man, yeah, it was like it's not the same character almost in a yeah. lot of ways. Yeah, um, you're totally right. He looks
1: he looks grungy in that first movie. He looks unfinished, unpolished when it's still just an idea that he's working through. Yeah,
0: absolutely. Which makes the game or the film way more grounded than a lot of the other ones. Obviously, uh, once they get into you all could, the crazy stuff. You could almost but,
1: say that Tony's the the Tony's further and continued um, uh, not complications, but like he makes he makes his suit more and more detailed and more complicated as he goes on. It becomes able to do more and more things, and almost just like the suit gets more complicated, his character kind of loses itself, especially right. in Civil War, especially in Avengers, and really only regathers itself when he you know, finally ends it all in the last Avengers movie. So, mm-hmm. you know, and that's, yeah. you know, that's bare bones, Tony, just him in the suit at the very end. So, uh, you could almost say that suit is a parallel to his character development, but, but I, I certainly agree with you. The first movie, definitely. It's number two for me, for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, Black Panther is actually up there for me. That one is mm-hmm. really solid first entry. And like that Whole series, if if we hadn't had the loss of the main character, Dude, like I, I could have oh seen goodness. that becoming its own massive, like yes. almost separate franchise. Oh, if yeah. they really committed to it, we'll we'll see what happens with the next one and and what they do going forward. Without, um, I almost said Don Cheadle, but that's uh, that's uh, Ch- Chadwick wo- Bozeman. Yes, Bozeman. Chadwick. Yes, he's got a white guy's first name. Um, good old <laughs> Chad. Um, yeah. yeah, ever since his loss, which is definitely a, a really sorrowful thing. The other one, though, that I would put out there, just shout out, would be actually Shang Chi. I I really haven't seen it yet,
1: and people keep bragging on it.
0: It's good. Like they they did what they needed to do in that they kind of pulled away from a lot of the other stuff going on in the universe and just told their own story, and they gave the time to it. Like these characters were well-rounded enough that they could really flesh some stuff out between the father-son relationship, the family situation there. And it just was, in my mind, one of the best ones they've done in a long time. And one of their better standalone ones. It definitely doesn't deliver on everything. And some of that is probably biased toward uh, Eastern culture and just my own preferences but it was good. I really liked it. And it has one of the best fight scenes in the in the whole of uh Marvel movies. Mm. So, uh great great movie. Um shout out to Shang-Chi, but I'd still say Iron Man for me is it's never been unseated as the best standalone. Yeah. All right, let's jump into of course the games we play. In. first segment here in our Bards Backlog repertoire. Let's talk through these, Jared. I know that you have been all over the place with your PS5, so you got one listed here, but I know you played through some God of War titles, and you're gearing up with um, a couple of other ones. Uh, Have you gotten Persona 5 yet, or is that still kind of out there, a plan to be accomplished
1: no, not yet. Just because of the timing of this podcast, the only thing that I've had time to even touch briefly, and I've spent less than an hour on it since since uh, I finished God of War was is uh, Bloodborne. Okay. So I, yeah, that's it. I eventually Persona Five's on there. Ghost of Tsushima. I have plenty of games sitting over there on my in my living room calling my name. Yeah, but uh, but yeah, taking my time working through some of them. Bloodborne would just seem to I don't know call to me. But yeah, per- Persona Five is uh, certainly on the horizon. I'll probably pick that up. So tell week. me
0: about Bloodborne, first impression. Yeah.
1: So it feels very much like a stylized, switched up a little bit from Sarfwa Dark Souls. And I'm very pleased that the most familiar things are the you died moment. <laughs> yes. <laughs> happens so frequently. The kind of stiffness in combat, which is a little bit, it's like, it's really straightforward. It's It's unforgiving, though. Um, and the verticality and, uh, uh, confusion of the maps, especially just that first, you know, Yarnum, you know, so I, I feel right at home in my frustration again. So it's, it's beautiful. (laughs) Great first impression. Haven't played too far along. Um, and I think I accidentally found an insight before I was supposed to. So I don't know if I can level up yet. I actually just found it. And then, but I didn't, I haven't fought the first boss, which is, I guess, typically when people find their first insight. So, uh, so I, I don't know yet, but we'll, we'll see what happens. And, um, yeah, I'm looking forward to playing through it. So
0: I'm curious what gave you the insight. Did you, did you make your way down to the sewer? I did. Okay. Did you see the pig pig? Yeah. There's like a big old pig. If you no. if you don't know what I'm talking about, you, then you didn't see you didn't see him because he makes quite an impression. Yeah. Um, I'm pretty sure he gives you insight when you see him. Um, but when you see him, yeah, there's a there's a massive pig in the bottom of Yarnum. You have to go into like where there's like all the crawlers in the mud. You drop down below the the bridge. This is behind like, the
1: secret passage up top, right?
0: Um, by secret passage, are you referring to the big tall ladder?
1: Ye kind of. I mean, and so the elevator. I <laughs> went down into the sewer and then skipped to the other side, ran away into the other side, and climbed up another big ladder. So okay. I don't know. So kinda kinda if you place, didn't but...
0: run through, so when you ran through that muddy area, if you turned yeah. left instead, there's a whole long tunnel, and if you head down that tunnel, you'll see the big pig boy. And I'm pretty sure he gives you, he gives you one insight. Um, okay, he's more no, like this just a, size intimidation than anything, though.
1: This was, um, I found an item. It was like a mad skull or something.
0: Oh, that'll do it. Yeah,
1: yeah. And so, that'll but, but I was like, insight. I don't want because remember when I first started, uh, for, uh, you know, Dark Souls one. I was like. Uh, what was it, I gained, uh, I started, I anti-hollowed myself, like I unhollowed myself and I didn't know what that meant. (laughs) So I wasted a bunch of like humanity (laughs) right Right, at the start of the game. So I didn't want to do that same thing again. So I like hit the insight button and I was like, oh wait a second, this is a usable item. So I quickly Googled it and I guess it was like, something that doesn't happen till later typically so i think i got lucky i guess i found an item
0: but insight's a weird thing it's not really a pro or a con in that game in fact in a lot of ways it's a con the more insight you have like basically the more of the world you can see and a lot of it's horrifying and a lot of it is harder so like if you go into one area i know specifically if you've not spent any insight and you've just continued to gather gathered up until that point it's way harder because you have more insight and you're just seeing more creatures you're seeing like the um the lackeys of the boss in that area and so it 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 has its effects both good and bad but it's not something like humanity where you have to really be careful yeah. and it's actually valuable in a lot of ways um, insights very different so just keep that in mind but i'm very excited to talk through bloodborne with you i'm gonna have to tip pick up my playthrough that i had started it's a good one and getting back into from software it is definitely a like you have to have it click and once it clicks that combat feels so silky smooth um i'd say sekiro just edges it out in the combat but bloodborne's got a quicker pace to it you don't have block you can't block like you can in dark souls so it's all dodge and parry and that makes it really unique in its own way and it's a lot faster Um, a lot of people prefer like a lot of people who hate dark souls love bloodborne because it fixes some of that slower clunky gameplay it's a lot faster um, a lot more twitch based um, which Sekiro has as well, but Sekiro also takes it to the nth degree. Yeah, <laughs> like, Sekiro is takes like it to that next 120
1: level. miles an hour. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So we'll definitely talk through that. Uh, we'll probably nominate that here soon as well. Um, who knows, though? There's so many games coming out. Uh, so we'll be busy. We'll be busy for sure. But I have not been playing a whole lot, to be honest. I've been playing some Apex with the new season. Mad Maggie being released. Honestly, I hate her character design and background, but I love her playability. She's like right up my alley in the different tacticals and passive abilities and stuff that they have. Um and we'll talk about Apex perhaps a little more in just a little bit, but been playing that off and on, very busy at school, so haven't had a whole lot of time to game, and then the other one has just been Uncharted 4, other than God of War, which we're talking about for today, but um, Uncharted 4, I'll turn on every so often, honestly, I think I'm on chapter 4 or 5, I'm very early on in the game, just got through some of the preliminary stuff, and I'm looking forward to playing through it again, it's been a while, and it looks gorgeous on the PS5, so,
1: yeah. I was thoroughly, trying to get Lucy to play it, some uh, Uncharted. I was like trying to bring her into because I've been not hogging per se, but just like I've been the one primarily interested in the PS5 yeah. right now. She doesn't have anything she wants to play right now, so I was like, "Why don't you play Uncharted and I'll just watch? Like you play Uncharted one, two, and three or four or whatever. Mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know. And then I'll just kind of watch. We'll start with uh, you know because Uncharted two is the one that kicked it all off, really. And, and
0: yeah, for, yeah, you can you know, skip one
1: claim. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, anyway, that's good stuff. Apex is, uh, I don't know, man, it's a lot.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, well, we'll talk about that. Yeah, I'd say skip Uncharted 1, just watch a quick update on the story, and then play 2, 3, and 4. 3 is very short, 2 is the best one, and then 4 is obviously the most recent up-to-date cinematic. It's got a lot of uh, nice modern touches to it. Oh, yeah, I really appreciate 4, too, because they don't force the set pieces and the cinematic stuff. <laughs> um, Uncharted 3 is notorious, because they chose what set pieces they wanted first, and then they built the story around that. Oh. So they were like, we are going to have a plane crash, and we are going to have... I can't remember what else they distinctly said. Oh, a ship. Like, And the ship section of that game is so stupid. Like... Uncharted 3 was so disappointing to me Um, but anyway 4 doesn't do that 4 is very much like we have a story we're going to tell and we will build cinematic moments around that and you can tell a difference like it has a big difference in how the story actually plays out so I'm enjoying it It, it's not as spectacle heavy as some of the other ones because of that as well but I prefer it's grounded approach and um, it's a great game great game for sure there you go All right. Let's crack open the strange default segment for this week. jared i got a straightforward question for you do games do video games do their developers do does the gaming community at large do they gatekeep too much for one purposefully but for another point on accident and this is back in reference to a youtube video that jared had sent me um and i thought it'd make a great conversation the video is um let me see uh what games are like... Let me double-check who um, published this and everything. For some reason, the link's not opening for me. Um, yeah, what games Rasputin. are like...
1: The, the YouTuber Rasputin.
0: Yes. And then, uh, for someone who doesn't play games, 11 million views, released in 2019. This is a pretty popular video. And yep. he just talks through some of the detail of, like... He just basically turns on games, gives the controller to his wife, who has no experience with games at all, and sees... How she figures it out, and in a lot of cases, the games are not good at helping you figure them out, especially if you have no experience with games in the past. Like, they rely quite a bit. I was very surprised watching through the video, like, they rely a lot, developers do, on like previous knowledge with games. Oh, yeah, especially with the game like Dark Souls, but even with other action combat open world games, like. They just expect the player to already have an idea of how games work, and that's that's not something that a lot of people go in to games with the knowledge of. And I've seen this myself. Like I've experienced this with with my wife Karina and with other friends throughout the years. I've always been like a hardcore gamer, and most of my friends have not been. So outside of like FIFA, they didn't know how to play games, and I'd always run into problems. I know the biggest thing was like people just getting lost. And I, I think that's one of the main points he brings up in the video is is people just getting lost, not knowing where to go. And as a gamer, you get you get the, the feel of like, OK, I know when the game's tunneling me a little bit. Um, I know that I need to look for a ledge that has a yellow color to it as opposed to a, a, just a standard wall. But once you start to get into especially like PS3 era, PS4, where the graphics are so good, things in the environment tend to blend in more and if you're not a gamer it is very easy to just get turned around and not know where you're going next especially if it's not directly marked on your map and a lot of games do that just to get around the problem um and so that's that's i guess that's the workaround but a lot of games don't as well i mean we're talking about god of war today and god of war has so many moments where if i didn't just have a natural sense of like how areas and games progressed. And when I do hit a wall, oh, I should look up or I should look to the right or I should try to see if there's some other minor solution because it's not just telling me to turn around. Um, like, the game wouldn't do that and I only have that inkling because I've played so many games. Right. Like, that's that's something that a non-gamer doesn't have and in that way, we are, as a community, gatekeeping, whether we realize it or not. Like, we're, we're making it somewhat difficult for people to get involved in games nintendo has always been very good at adding in stuff they know and and for the most part nintendo's audience ever since the wii has been casual it's grandma it's grandpa you know they got the wii to try out some bowling in their home or it's it's someone who has only played mario kart And so that's why they have the Switch in their house, you know. And so anytime that Nintendo publishes a game, they know that their audience is probably going to be those who haven't played the most recent Assassin's Creed, who aren't playing Call of Duty every year, and um, who haven't enjoyed the AAA release of Ghost of Tsushima or whatever it may be. It's like they're just there for FIFA and Mario Kart and now that nintendo has released this new game oh breath of the wild what is that they make sure they build in a lot of subtle tutorial actually nintendo is phenomenal at like getting you introduced to your, their game and doing it in a way that like has the training wheels on and gets you to a place where you're ready to take over before they just hand over the wheel entirely and in the past too they've had issues where they've even gone too far in that respect I mean, you could talk about Skyward Sword, which we just talked about in one of the recent episodes. Skyward Sword, especially on the Wii, they changed some of this with the HD update. And actually, Jared, we didn't even talk about some of the things they changed in our episode because some of the things they changed were even more annoying than anything that's in the game in the HD version. But um, one of the things that they would do is every time that you turn the game on, on on the Wii version, they would reintroduce every single item to you. And they would re-explain how to roll, um, where to look for things. Here's how your motion works, and all this stuff. Like they would re-explain stuff over and over and over, and that wasn't for the hardcore audience. That was for the casual audience, and that really annoyed the hardcore <laughs> because it was like, okay, I know what a freaking green rupee is. Why are you telling me that this is worth one rupee? Like I, I do not right. need to know that every time I turn this game on. Right. But for a casual player, like that sort of stuff, that sort of information makes that experience so much better and it is bridging a gap there in knowledge that they don't inherently have and nintendo with a casual base having especially a game like that on the wii they made sure to be as clear as possible with people so that they were being accessible so that games were accessible to as many people as possible uh so what do you think jared i know i've been rambling a little bit but do you think games gatekeep are there ways that we can do things a little better? Or do you enjoy the fact that, yeah, no, you kind of have to get into a cadence with it and understand games at large to yeah. truly appreciate this industry?
1: There's a, there's a vagueness that comes with almost all video games and that if you've ever played video games before, you can overcome. It's like a base level of vagueness. And in his video, Rasmussen makes this point. He was saying that his wife, and he offered her no help. He said, you just figure it out. I'm just going to watch you until you figure it out. And until she, like, absolutely threatened to quit the game entirely, he wouldn't help her. And he makes this comment um, while she was playing Skyrim. He he gave her a bunch of, like, big, big, some of the games that he thought would have been, like, middle accessible, but also in many different genres. Um, he, he gave her Skyrim. And at the opening scene of Skyrim, um, um, the dragon that attacks Helgen... Um, is, like, shooting fire and and riding over and whatever else. And his wife applies real-world logic um, to the situation, and she hides out in the house waiting for the dragon to fly away. And to be honest, if you have, like, something that you can't deal with because you're not equipped, you don't have the weapons to deal with it, what is your first idea? Oh, escape, get away. And so she ran to the city gates and tried to escape that way. Nope, can't do it because the game's trying to tunnel you, but like, or funnel you rather. But if you don't know, if you're not familiar with that type of funneling, you're just gonna miss it because it's not it's not necessarily apparent to someone who doesn't play video games. And so he made that comment that she was trying to solve in game problems with real world logic. But you can't do that because most video games function off of video game logic, um, and that's just because computers aren't like the human brain. So the human brain can take like variety of muscle function. And thought processes and you know what you see with your eyes and hear with your ears and smell with your nose and pull it all together into a kind of a general adaptive strategy. the world inside video games is limited to um, a limited set of senses like it 's mostly what you can see, and then with the character, a limited way you can interact with the world because you know you just can't it wouldn't be a game then it would be real life if you had an infinite amount of inputs and outputs right so there's a limit to what you can do and thus you need video game logic to accomplish this um and so that you know that's kind of what his whole point was is like for someone who doesn't play video games and didn't have a uh, an upbringing with video games a lot of these things we take for granted in how we think them like the right. general upgrading especially when you play an rpg there's just this idea that you will upgrade your character and so you're going to have stats. So like when I started Bloodborne, I immediately looked for a way to spend my souls. Why? Because I'd play the first game. You know what I mean? So like there's there's cultures of video games and then there's subcultures. And like From Software, sure. Dark Souls and stuff tend to be vague anyway. But only because I had played the first one did I understand the concept that I need to spend souls to upgrade myself. That wasn't... You know what I'm saying? Like there's, there's logic right. and then there's subculture logic. So his wife struggled with games like Shovel Knight because she mistakenly thought that uh, a money bag that she was supposed to collect hurt her the first time. So she spent the the first several hours avoiding money bags because she missed that. It just kind of didn't click. So some of that was strafing left and right. Like she was moving left and right, but she wasn't rotating because she didn't realize you had to use the other joystick. Simple stuff like that. So in in that way, games gatekeep because they do have a small amount of base logic that you need to have in order to play the games. But what's more concerning to me is fan gatekeeping. And in that, in that sense, like the first titles that come to mind are League, um, are Apex sometimes, Call of Duty. You get into some of these like chat rooms and they're just toxic as all get out because the highest goal is winning and getting good. And you just want to enjoy yourself. And some people like just can't fathom Enjoying things without winning, right? Like, right, either it's right. an ego boost or it's just a competence thing or it's a whatever. Like, maybe their life outside of the game is out of control. And so the game is the one thing they're good at. So they take it very seriously because they need that dopamine. So it just, you know, it just, or whatever, serotonin, whatever. So, like, who knows? But, I'm more concerned with, instead of overcoming silly video game logic, because Rasputin, his wife, kind of laughed once he explained it or she figured out she would chuckle at herself that she didn't think of what seemed to be obvious in retrospect. But the, the things that doesn't make me chuckle is like the toxicity of players gatekeeping their own genres. Um, yeah, yeah, and that—that that to me is when I think of the word gatekeeping is the red flag that pops into my mind. Just the inaccessibility because oh no no, no you don't you don't play at my level then I'm not interested at all. Um, and there's like a lack of humility in trying to teach what I will say quote unquote the next generation or just someone who's interested. So you know that's something I'm more concerned of. But it's a great video. It'll make you think. Everyone should everyone should watch it because it's more of it's a problem that kind of like expands out into real world applications. So it's good stuff
0: for sure and gatekeeping is real especially in multiplayer games like like there's right just now no Apex way around just it honestly. started a new
1: season so it's like absolutely brutal if you happen to be a new player everyone's unranked right now so you're just right. it's just slaughter
0: it's slaughter and and that's that's pretty standard like you you if you're not on the ground floor for a lot of like multiplayer bases when they get started like you're you're at a hardcore disadvantage no matter what time you try to jump in there after. Like, I cannot play Siege, Rainbow Six Siege, because it's just so insulated now. Like, just the the, the multiplayer base is at a level that I just don't even understand yeah. because it's been so long at this point. And that's definitely a standard thing with multiplayer. But even outside of that, like other games, uh, they can gatekeep. Um I mean, <coughs> even uh, games we've talked about. And, and of course even having it, like some people would say like, Oh, gatekeeping, having a, an exclusive on a console is gatekeeping. And, um, you're not allowing as many people as possible to play it and so on and so forth. And all that to say, like I am definitely for as accessible of games as possible, but at the same time, there is a balance because this is an interactive medium. It's so different. Like you can't really gatekeep and i in, a, in Uh, books or with movies or yeah with, I mean, with board games, I suppose you can like a little bit, any sort of game type thing, sports, I guess in some way you can as well. So in that way, video games kind of fit into those categories, but there is a, just a standard learning curve that comes with interactivity in any sort of setting. And especially, especially in a virtual video game setting, there's just a learning curve to understanding how the interactivity, what the rules are to that. And that's understandable. Um, and, and to me, that's also something that is invaluable to games. Like, video games are so unique on this earth because of that interactivity. So being unable to bridge the gap in each of those situations, and unfortunately gatekeeping, even though they don't realize it at times like developers do, um, is just a part of like what games are. And I would not take that away. To me, that's still a part of why it's it's so special, and why a lot of these games can achieve such awesome heights. Like we're going to talk about God of War today, and like as far as I'm concerned, this game should not exist with how good it is. (laughs) Like there are so many aspects to it that just to me don't make sense, like how a video game was able to achieve that. But if it didn't have the decades of gaming behind it that led all the way to the culmination of what god of war is in the gaming industry um it, it would not be what it is and so uh, some of that is gatekeeping from the past some of that is you know uh, video game logic that it's insulated in in a lot of ways um but i wouldn't take any of that away because we got that particular product at the end of it um and and that being said yes apex is a nightmare like if you don't understand the pink system if you aren't in a squad that's super good or like with people who you know are going to be able to play with you it can be a brutal experience because you get put up with randoms and you know your wraith runs off in an opposite direction and wants to play on their own and now you're stuck by yourself and you're trying to communicate and do your best and yes everyone else is incredibly toasty and um they don't care that you're a newbie they can't tell first of all but also they wouldn't care otherwise they're just going to slaughter you and You're going to just have to wait until you get good at it to enjoy it. Um, And that was a big reason why, actually, I I hated Apex when I first started playing it. But um, it's it's notorious for its learning curve, for sure. But at the same time, that is what makes it special. Because it does have all of those communication tools with the ping system. It does have all the different unique attachments and the different meta, of course, the different guns and things and um, how the maps play out and stuff that makes it worth people's time like so many people put so much time into it and all of that is why that sometimes having some gatekeeping elements almost are necessary if you want to have the level of gameplay experience that you want does that make sense i don't know if it, that's it, it does incorrect I think logic
1: if, yeah i mean if you want to perfect if you want a real challenge, if you want to be perfect, if you want the perfect to be the enemy of the good because that's what you're shooting for, then yeah, you don't care that newbies aren't interested in your gameplay i mean if they don't really pad your numbers because they're not playing, but also like you're if you win it's legit, you know what i mean it's a it's a way to catapult yourself into the highest rings uh the more insular your game is so if you're good at a game that's typically very difficult and uncompromising, then you're good, you know what I mean so um, yeah, I totally, I, I think I, it does it, but anything worth having is going to be hard to have. Uh, yes. and I think that is the value that you're talking about with a lot of these games.
0: Yes. And I think that could be great, greatly exemplified in, I mean, Wii sports is as accessible as you can get. Anybody yes. can pick it up and understand it, but yes. it's also because it has to be as accessible to as many people as possible. So simple. And because that's not as fulfilling as something like Dark Souls, which is obscure, which is like almost telling you to turn it off because you obviously don't understand it. Like it wants you to not like figure it out almost in a lot of ways. And so unless you go past that obvious gatekeeping and push past it and look things up. And I think that he was brought up in the video, like he was talking about dark souls specifically, like he wouldn't have even able to understand it as a longtime gamer, unless that community hadn't already been there. Um, but through that, you get dark souls, like through all that, you get that unique experience that is almost unable to be replicated. Um, Mm -hmm and and so there's a trade-off there it's a bit of a back and forth um in having the higher level of i guess that threshold that you need to pass to even enjoy the game it is a higher level but when you get past that you get a deeper and richer experience than anything in wii sports
1: yeah for sure
0: all right um do they gatekeep yes do they have to in a lot of ways yes does every game no are there games that could do a lot better of a job at it absolutely and accessibility is something that has always been um important and has only grown more important in recent years and i hope that that continues but not at the expense of dark souls not at the expense of sekiro like that was a big thing of sekiro you know um it's too hard and that's fine um we can have yeah. that we can have that and we can have the yeah. accessible games you can you have gotta it want both. it
1: enough you gotta want it enough yeah. <laughs> you, gotta,
0: you don't want it enough you're not good enough you don't want it enough that's why you're bad at sekiro sorry um, <laughs> um anyway let's jump into our pick of this week and of course we've mentioned it god of war 2018 the 2018 version So Jared, you have been on a small God of War journey here, and this is your culmination up until this point. Tell me about your your path on the way here, uh, how you felt with uh, the change in setting with this one, especially, and whether or not they pulled that off, and then also uh, how you felt with it being juxtaposed against the older games in combat and style and um, everything, really. This is like a reboot of the franchise. Um, so are there things that you missed? Just tell me, how do you feel about God of War as a whole and particularly going into this one? What you thought?
1: Yes. Yeah, so I played, um, a couple of hours of the first God of War. Um, I did not get to any of the aside games, I guess like God of War Ascension or God of War Chains of Olympus, some of the stuff that is Canon, but not in the main franchise, I suppose things that were like created for the PSP and stuff like that. Um, and then, so I, I played God of War One, for a couple hours, I skipped God of War 2, I just kind of watched through some of the action scenes, uh, kept up with the story and what was going on, and then I played completely through God of War 3 on easy so I could play it fast, Um, and then launched. And I did all of this in preparation for God of War uh, 2018, which was going to be what we were going to cover most likely. Um, So my overall impression was this feels like a reboot. This feels like an unperfected product, and um, it it feels less like less of a whole package than, say, um, Skyrim did, or Horizon Zero Dawn, or even the God of War's before it. And the reason I say that is because so many things are different. It is a complete rebrand, and because of that, they definitely jump deep into, I don't know, like, the lore in a good way. They really take advantage of, you know, some dialogue, things that were going on. I What's beautiful about, like, changing the entire culture of something is that you do get to do new format things. Like, for instance, you know, I work for a restaurant that serves a particular genre of food. If we were to rebrand the entire company, um we would have the opportunity and almost the expectation to change the way we do things, not just change the food, not just change the drinks and and the, the way we, whatever else, but to change everything, to change locations, to change the format of the kitchen, to change the hierarchy, the chain of command, all this different stuff, to change our frontline interactions with guests and stuff. There are good basic practices and things that are, you know, expected to be like working in a restaurant but then there's also like the nuance of that restaurant how we do things here specifically and god of war takes advantage of the fact that the chapter of greek mythology closed with a nice finale a little bit of a cliffhanger kind of left themselves a little open um but closed finally and kratos's journey in greek mythology came to an end but you still like need a main main character you need an antagonist you need a reason to buy into the future and they brought kratos from greek mythology into norse mythology and said well we need we just need a rebrand we need the complete and utter upheaval of the old package and because we're upheaving everything we can afford to change in major ways the way we do things And this is why it feels like an unfinished product because this is the first game, hopefully, in a long line of games. I have nothing but respect and love for uh, Santa Monica Studios making these games. Um, So I think it's it's fantastic all around. But it definitely, as, as an overall impression, felt like the first and because it was the first, still needing to work some of the kinks out. I feel like the formula for God of War 1 worked really, really well. That's why it sold copies. That's why it was popular. Um, And it didn't help that they had some stylistic things that were, you know, addictive. But also, their perfection of that process does not change that much from God of War 1 through the games to God of War 3, the last of that saga. Um, God of War 1 feels remarkably similar to God of War 3, truthfully. Um. Uh. so to me they did not feel that different in the hand and on the screen uh, third person cameras uh, kind of changing as you as you move around and right. kind of playing in an arena almost As a, and then you know the complete upheaval of that whole hack and slash mode the third person camera being at a distance not really up close and you're kind of working through arenas essentially solving puzzles in a way working through it's very violent it's very gory and then the transition which is open world third person but it's tight it's right up it feels like skyrim in third person or right. horizon zero dawn much more modern of that third person camera um if you have a partner you have it's almost co-op in a way it's you and an ai really but it's an extension of yourself um which wasn't in the old games it's also much more character dependent like you get to know your side characters a lot there's fewer of them but you definitely get to know them a lot better, so it's like more quality over quantity. And then the stakes actually seem smaller as far as story goes. Like you aren't going right to the head honcho; you're dealing with an immediate <laughs> present threat, and right. then just the world. Of course, it's not; it's wide open to you. It's very exploration heavy, uh, very lore heavy, very much about the vibes and everything. And then it just starts off with a very simple task: just get. Um, mom's ashes to the highest mountain in the land, but that turns out to be way more complicated than they bargained for, and that's exactly what Kratos needs to shake up his life that he left. So uh, overall impressions are are that you know it comes from a series that is trying to escapes the wrong word but reinvent itself, and so it feels yeah. a little unfinished. It feels a little raw, but what I played through, what I used, uh, what I enjoyed was what they were trying to do with this game. So, overall impressions, good stuff. It just does feel a little edgy and a little unfinished.
0: I want to um, I want to understand what about it feels unfinished to you other than some of the like obvious teases, like you you can't go to what like three different realms. Like they're there at the Bifrost, but they're unavailable. <laughs> so, like yes. in that way I could I could see that being incomplete, but like outside of that honestly i feel like this is such a well polished fully understood game and it is smaller scale but i think that was purposeful as well and really the whole game is not about kratos at all which is a big surprise going into the last couple chapters um he he is ancillary to everything else that's going on and he thinks he's the reason but it turns out he's not and i thought that that was awesome trying to explain away some of the stuff because i mean you're going from greek to to norse lore like trying to explain how those two work they do some of that and they do a pretty good job like they even hint at other pantheons and stuff there um it is a little silly to think in my mind that like gods are regional (laughs) that's just like a little silly to me like yeah like yeah. Uh, oh those guys are only active in greece <laughs> it's like i think they're over yeah. there like they're gods okay yeah okay poseidon is in tr- control of all the seas of the world apparently but not anymore now it's just greece
1: <laughs> i was just having this conversation with a friend the other day i was like in in mythology if you're going to play it in video game style you can't actually think of it as an omnipotent god in this in the christian sense like we would think like an infallible entity Instead, you have to think about it as like kind of a mega leveled up human. Like that's right. really all, and so in only if you conceptualize it in that way outside of like the Western tradition of God, can you use the word God, little G-O-D, obviously, um, other than like in the game, obviously it uses big G-O-D, but um, uh, God and then, you know, a pantheon of gods, many gods, and then compare them to, you know, rankings of power, God, full right. God, demigod cousin to a god etc heroes heroes are like achilles. achilles a hero is the opposite of a god in, sen- in the sense that like a god can only be killed or destroyed in one way as opposed mm-hmm. to a hero who only has one perk if that makes sense like Achilles obviously is human and can be beaten and and obviously, but his his whole thing is that he's mega strong. Hercules same thing, mega strong, but not a god, just a hero. If that makes sense. So there, it, there's rankings of these things, but I liked the regional thing. I don't know if that annoyed you, but I think it's only because it's you're struggling with your conception of God as an as a sure. singular all powerful entity. And if you just think of them as leveled up humans, it makes more sense.
0: I think, no, I mean, it, de- it definitely, like, when you video gam- gamify it, and yeah. when you just get past the fact that, yeah, okay, whatever, it's just going to be a little funky, like, it- it's fine. It's just, historically, and-, and in those cultures, they did not view their gods as just their gods, you know? Correct, Like, the Correct. Egyptians looked at Ra yes. as everyone's primal Correct. god, you know? Yes. So, that was... omnipotent big g god to them so uh, trying to like say oh no actually there's all these little pantheons like that doesn't actually work like based on how people actually thought about those gods but yeah for this game it's fine it's a little funny it's fine though and it's just it's funny to me that like god of war 3 he literally leaves the world in a hor such a horrible condition. Like uh, he, he releases hope to the him like to the rest of the world from him, but like otherwise like famine, all, like, all the plants are dying, water has flooded most of the earth. Like with every god that he killed, he made things worse. And then he just leaves, goes up north, and everything's fine up there. And now he's facing off with all the it's just it's it's you can't explain it. And and they did their best to do it. And I think it works and it's fun. But there's something there. <laughs> there's something there that bothers me. So in so. an
1: answer to your original question, and I the unfinished part of it feel is is partially because the realms in, in Norse mythology, Midgard is essentially Earth, right? Right. And and I was wrestling with uh the the Marvel version of Thor and Odin and some of this stuff, which are kind of painted as the good guys who have made some mistakes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, as opposed to true Norse mythology, which is like Asgard was kind of the bullies of all the nine realms, essentially. And um, and so I was wrestling with that a little bit, trying to like put that to the side and just accept the canon they were giving me as canon. And Midgard, it, I guess, felt... It feels unfinished and edgy, partially because... Th- because of location density, for one. Like, okay, you, that's one. And then th- the sparseness of other locations. Like Jotunheim, sure. when you finally get there, there's nothing to do. There's there's absolutely yeah. nothing to do. You also have yeah. no access to Svartalheim. You have no access to um, uh, Asgard, or there's one more that you I think no
0: Vanaheim is the other one. Vanaheim's
1: the other one, yeah. And then Niflheim feels like just an arena. Like, the whole realm's right. just an arena. Yeah. Like, there's nothing. So, And what I see from the new uh, God of War Ragnarok is that they it looks like they had some villages, some towns. And the reason it also feels edgy is because it feels very empty. Like, it feels like the apocalypse has already happened. Where are I sure. know the dead are overrunning the maps, but, like, where are the human beings? Where are the, you know, was it literally just Kratos, his son and wife, and then the Aesir gods and, you know, some Draugrs? Was that it? Yeah, like, yeah. So it feels empty, it feels unfinished, it feels like vague at first, and then just the like, I don't know, like what were you doing with your life? It feels, I don't know, just empty. There's not enough locations. Um, The combat also too feels a little like untested at times. So there's some moments in which Atreus's two abilities are like shock and stun and it's just I don't know like it does damage. Like the light arrows do damage and stun damage, and the shock arrows just do damage. And then the, the shield is a new thing, but like I don't know. It just it felt a little raw, like it felt just a little unpolished, as opposed to the the combat in um, the combat in Horizon Zero Dawn feeling like a, a almost a perfection of bow combat right in, in many different applications, I suppose. It felt busy. And then sometimes like the talisman versus the enchantment versus like the, the rune attachment, like it was all very convoluted and very thrown, kind of thrown together. It was very confusing. Mm. Lots of information all at once. Not all at once per se, but like as you go through the game and then menuing was a little complicated and rough. Um Sometimes it wasn't clear how and when you were selling things, uh, to the dwarves or buying things or what you could buy or and there's an option to buy hidden items that you missed but if you didn't unlock a chest that doesn't count it's just things that you left on the ground so it's like there, it, there's some things to be touched up I think here and there um, uh, rowing the boat was a little complicated at times um, I don't know there's, there's it just felt like a little glitchy at times it felt like we don't know what to do with this space so we're gonna wall it off in a very obvious attempt to keep you from it, and there, the the map too. Oh, that's another thing too. The big map when you look at it is not super helpful. Like yeah, it's the, not. It's a, a, it's beautiful. I really like how it ties. It makes the vibe very Norse. Like it, very, it really fits it in nicely. Um, but um, other than the the fast travel way, and we'll talk about fast travel because I like the way this game does fast travel. But, like, I don't know. The map was another way I felt, like, felt um, kind of unfinished and raw. Like, that really was beginning okay. concepts that they launched into gamedom. I don't know if that makes sense. You feel free to push back. But I just felt like I was like, you can do better. That was my impression. When I said this. My thing. Feels, yeah.
0: My thing is uh, a lot of that stuff. Like, with the first three games in the series... You get a pretty good feel for the what God of War is supposed to be. It's all about just going from place to place, fighting in in a bunch of battles, obviously yeah. with with minor enemies, and then getting to epic boss battles, and you're just going along. Like you're not worried about an open world, you're not worried about RPG elements, you're just honing in your combat, you're getting the feel of the cadence to it, and you're you're moving from action to action. And this game is that at its soul, like in its heart, that's what it is. And I think putting it into a modern third person over the shoulder sort of feel makes you in your mind want it to be open world. It wants like it makes you want it to be open things that it's not like it's and it's never it wasn't trying to be those things it added in extra paths and it added in some side quests and i like that they kind of explain that by like oh for the most part it's atreus that wants him to go on the side quests and do those Uh things like Uh he's like this is a waste of time (laughs) like we need to be doing what we need to do which is like very much kratos um but like that heart of like, Oh, let's just continue on. We're going to the next set piece. Oh, we got another, okay, now Atreus is sick. We need to head back to the witch of the woods, whatever it is, like all those different parts of the, um, the, the character arcs and, and the overall plot. And you still have at its core, the, the combat, the action sequences and the nuance of that. I'd say that this combat is not something to write off. Um, It's not as smooth necessarily as Horizon, but as a combat system, it is definitely complex and it pushes you in a lot of ways and it's fair. It's very fair. It's not, I don't think, cheap in any way. I think it's a little more technical than even the previous God of War games. It's not as spectacle heavy, but the whole game in general is trying to be more intimate as well. And so that reflects itself in almost everything. Um, They went for, hey, let's pull this back. Let's put it in an intimate setting. We're going to put the camera very close to Kratos, over his shoulder. That's different. So everything feels a lot more up close and personal. And then you also have um, the story being in an isolated part of the world. And to me, I think the intimacy... Um, is accentuated thanks to the fact that you only have a handful of characters. Like, I think that's a great thing. Uh, and I could see why, if you're wanting an open world that feels open and vibrant and full of life, like, it's not that. Um, but God of War's never been that either. I mean, like, you would go to spots where there would be cities getting destroyed and you see people running and screaming. Um, but otherwise, like, you were just killing bu- enemy, uh you know, killing monsters and then, and then killing bosses. So... All of that, like in the spirit of God of War, this game is doing the same things, but because of its transition into this new setting, um, with these new ambitions behind it, trying to go for something more intimate in both its characters and even in its camera, um, you, you do see, okay, this could be where they add more. This could be where they do other things, but I don't think they wanted those things to get in the way of that core soul of what God of War is, and they... They did not get distracted by, let's add more stuff. No, let's instead deliver on what we know we can. And then we'll build from there. And I don't think that makes it feel incomplete so much as showing what can still occur in the future. Like, they wanted to make sure that they could get the core right, and they did. They nailed it, as far as I'm concerned. And now they can expand from there. And the world is never in a God of War game. The focus in this one, they honestly overreach um in my opinion and you see that in some of that stuff like in in my opinion they should not have really had really any rpg elements at all um in my opinion if they if they really wanted to have all the realms as they were they should have just included those into the main story as part of the adventure like they did with alphaheim and with um helheim Uh, those two being the the main ones that you go through right um all the other ones are ancillary so like I, I, I in my in my mind, I don't need to play a God of War game and go to all eight or all nine realms because in in the first God of War and God of War three, I didn't have that option either. I was where the, the character created or where the creators wanted me to be. So, in God of War 3, Mount Olympus, you fall down to Hades, you go through Hades, and you scale back up Mount Olympus. That's the whole game. You're not traveling to Athens. You're not going to Persia. Like, you're not doing all this other fun stuff and all these other open world settings. You are just following those spots. And in this game, they, they follow through with that, but then they also give other options, and that's where now you have your feeling and inkling, which is not an incorrect one, but... Um, one that I do think isn't one that even they wanted to focus on at all in that. Oh, you could add more here. Oh, there could be more NPCs, um, so on and so forth. Um, but all of that in my mind is not a detraction. Like all of that is just stuff they could do, but that does not detract from what they did do and what this game and its soul is and how they captured those elements of it. So that would be my counterpoint <laughs> if I had to give one. Um I but- don't, yeah. All I- that to say, you are correct in that when you make that leap, when you start over, when you have the ambition to do that, just like what we saw with Horizon, that is going to set you down a path where people are going to expect more. And they are going to look for things and, and want you to deliver in ways that you had not in the past. And... That is something I hope that they continue with Ragnarok. But I also don't want them to get overburdened with doing all of the fun things that other games do when that's not what God of War is. Um, So all that to say, I think that they delivered in the ways that they needed to. And there is a lot of stuff, yeah, that they they could do more of. But in my mind, this is a near perfect game. And to hear unfinished does kind of surprise me a little bit.
1: I suppose the reason I say that is because it's like, they they didn't know, like, um, I suppose, um, okay. If you have, one of the signs of a good, great, and perfect restaurant is when you go into like an IHOP or a Waffle House or something like that, um, or McDonald's rather, they oftentimes the sign of a good restaurant is they can accomplish many different things fairly well. But the sign of a great restaurant is a menu that's one page long. It's got eight things on it. And it has, you know, a, a wine list that's extraordinary and some of the best wines that have already been proven have proven themselves. And that has got, we offer these eight things. This is what we do. Perfect. And we don't need anything else. And when I see things like, that's what God of War 1, 2, and 3 were to me. It's like, what we do well, what we do is hack and slash, linear movement, not, not open world, right? There's not really any exploration. Right. And slow power up and increasing expansion of abilities, as well as like lore that follows a familiar framework and violence, like that is our brand. That is what we do perfect, eight things. And with God of War in the reboot, like I said, you're giving yourself the opportunity to expand, but when I say unfinished, I don't mean could be more. I mean, it could have been less. Like it feels like like it, it, the some of these... I'm not expecting to go to all nine realms, especially if you give me a reason not to, right? I totally agree with that point. And I totally think, like, if you don't want to include villages, that's fine. That's true to the God of War brand. But for you to include some things from your past and try to add on other things, it's like, it would be like a fine dining restaurant saying, let's add chicken tenders, because some people like chicken tenders. <laughs> so I just, like, I, in my mind, this game actually doesn't necessarily need to expand I think what it needs to do is choose a, a, the new brand of God of War, choose eight or nine things that you do perfectly and stick with that. For instance. Yeah. For instance. When you come across chests, you often, you know, get hack silver as the kind of the currency. You get um some modest things that you can level up armor with, which is something that you couldn't do in the past uh in the sense that like I mean, it did get more complicated. Like, you know, um, you leveled up your Blades of Chaos and you kind of did that. But they kept it simple. It was like you level up the things that you have. And it was most of the time it was like four weapons per game, really. And the third one was like the bow, the blades, and whatever else. And the first thing, it was abilities. You could level up, you know, you had abilities and stuff. And in this game, it's like you can level up armor, of which there are three sets. And then Atreus also has sets of armor. And then you can also put on enchantments on that armor, uh, which have special abilities and then you can they also have stat impacts but they also do special things and then you yeah. can put runes on them that do this sort of thing and you can have a talisman that gives you a special ability and you could put runes on that and then you can. so it's just, like trim the fat just a little bit here like i, yeah. I did miss the simplicity of the first three games if i agree
0: you want, when you bring up especially the rpg elements like, you yes. got me there. I cannot deny that. I think that they really did overstep in that respect and do not deliver, like what you're it, saying. I, and so, that's why point, I'm not... I'm,
1: it's it's an eight. Like, to me, this game is a clear, like, eight out of ten minimum. Like, that's my low rating. You know what I mean? Because, and, and we're going to talk about more about, like, the story in a second, because that's definitely where this game is strongest. Um, But like the RPG elements for sure, it's like you made the dwarven upgrading, like the shops like Brock and Sindri, which are fantastic side characters. The dialogue is fantastic. But we'll get to that in a second. You made them so crucial to this game that you put them in like adjacent to the Bifrost so that every time you enter a new realm or a new area, they're there. They're right there to offer a witty comment they are conveniently able to slip through realms, so you're never far away for a dwarven shop where you can upgrade. That is an unprecedented level of ac- ac- uh, accessibility to upgrades that even like Skyrim doesn't have. Like Skyrim, you have sure. to fast travel to Markarth to find a smithy, and if they run out of the ingredients for your upgrade, <laughs> you have to go all the way back to Right Run or Solitude or whatever else to upgrade. It's it's inaccessible. Same thing with Aloy; you got to find like a specific way to do things, right? This game, it's, like, at every step of the way, the dwarves are right there. And trying to navigate through that whole upgrade system, like, you got your chest, your wrists, and your trousers that you can upgrade. Um, and then, occasionally, you can upgrade your axe. And it wasn't clear, because the dwarves in the first part of the game are, like, taking the axe back from each other because they're brothers and they're not getting along at first. And they upgrade, I guess. But I don't... Like, where did that upgrade go? I don't know what that looks like. I guess I got stronger. And, and then upgrading kratos is not as simple as using the the uh, upgrade things or whatever um i don't mean the minotaur horns or the eye of the gorgon i mean like i guess i guess that is what i mean but i but like you can upgrade his weapons really yes just by spending those points and you kind of get to choose how to how to spend them as, as opposed to in this game, you only get to upgrade your axe once you find a specific thing for it. Right. Same thing with the Blades of Chaos later. It's, so it was kind of like they were picking and choosing where and when to upgrade stuff. And so if you're going right. to do that, you're giving me your standard RPG experience. And it was just too much. It was it was way too much. And yeah. the, the some of the things that were, since we're talking about juxtaposing all the games some of the things that were familiar to me were choosing like the Cyclone, right? Like that's an ability that's super popular in the God of War. Heck it's yeah. super f- super fun to do. You spin around like a Cyclone with your Blades of Chaos. It looks awesome. In this game, there are similar upgrades to your weapons. You can throw and do either stun damage or, or regular damage or fire a frost or something like that. That's fine. But then there are clear like, ones that aren't as good. So let's assume you upgrade all of the abilities with your weapons, which is something that you could do in the God of War 1, 2, 3. There are clearly extra abilities that aren't as good. Like, they do four damage instead of five, and they do three stun instead of five stun, and there's an ability that has four and four. Like, there's a clear, better option. So it's like, you Mm -hmm. don't need that then. Then don't, no one's ever gonna choose that. Just trim it. It doesn't, like... There, all of all of the movesets look pretty. It's not about looking pretty. So there, there's some of that there. And then there's like, uh, like a surplus of enchantments you can put on your weapons, especially in Niflheim, get tedious because you got to go through all of your armor sets and attach all the new runes. And then as soon as you're done with that, and even in Niflheim, the mist isn't always a factor, especially in the realm tears in the center there. So you got to like equip that's best for optimal combat that gives you the best advantages and doesn't have to deal with the mist at first. So there's, there's just too much, there's too much chaos. That's why I look at this game as if you're going to go the RPG route, you need to say, these are the eight things that we can do to distinguish our brand yeah. instead of trying to please everybody. And so I, I really, like this game is awesome. I really, I love this game. But that's what I mean when I say it was unfinished. Like, if you're going to commit to some of these RPG elements, you got to commit. Why is it that the apple of Ion upgraded your health after you got three of them, but when you traveled around the lake after the water drops the first time, you have these tiers of Idrisil that are kind of floating randomly and easily accessible that literally upgrade you by two points in, in different categories? but right. they're not a consumable item either. They're just auto-applied, which isn't clear. As it, right. so it was like it was just kind of just funky stuff here and there. It was like just pick a lane, not we don't have to have our fingers in every RPG jar. Just pick a couple things. And so what I'm really hoping hoping from the next game is not to change any of the things that made it great, but to streamline. You just you don't need as much as you had. You tried to do too much, I think um so i all of the god of war elements that you talked about were there they're absolutely there and that's why the game the series is still great because they don't deviate from the beautiful and addictive combat that absolutely nails it every time but but certainly some of the rpg elements were distracting or tedious at times and they really could have done without in my opinion
0: i agree no and the that's that's definitely its weakest that's the weakest chain totally
1: That is absolutely the the weakest. I'm glad we got that out of the way. (laughs) Because the strengths of this game are out of this world.
0: For sure. And the Combat too is definitely, I'd say, in the middle of its... Like, it's not its greatest thing. It's, it's kind of in the middle, especially compared to the previous games. I will say God of War 3's combat, I prefer over the combat in this game. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, that's a big reason why I did not replay it. I think the experience the first time was a ton of fun, but the combat itself is not something that, like, I'm head over heels for. It's good, and it pushes you. But, like, there's just a couple things in there that, The fact that you are determined to make this a third person game, okay, great, does present some limitations. A lot of that is just because of how close you are with the camera. When you're focused on one enemy, like you, you really lose sight of the whole battlefield. And oftentimes that can be to your detriment. And you kind of learn eventually, okay, I need to be aware. Like I kind of have to have Kratos positioned where I can see multiple of the enemies. And of course, you have the little like, Danger indicator around your waist that tells you where things are and like if there's a projectile coming your way and things like that. But even yeah. that feels like a cheat, like that feels like we absolutely needed this to make the combat work because we couldn't think of another way around it. Say and that one
1: more time. Sorry, explain that one more time to me.
0: The, the waist, like the indicators around the waist. Oh, so oh I see. It'll yes, tell see. you, okay, like, sorry, pardon me. Where the like, I mean, talking Horizon, which is one of our. Recent episodes, they didn't have to do that because right. the combat was at that level, you know. Yeah. And like in Sekiro, like oftentimes when an enemy is going to attack in a game that has really good combat, the enemy has an indicator around him, but you can't do that in God of War because the camera is so stuck close to his back in a melee-focused game, which is is what it is. Um, that they instead put indicators around his waist, which. Yeah. Is a fix, and it works, and it, it is something you utilize quite a bit and you get used to, but it does kind of show that this commitment to intimacy did have its limitations in combat especially, yeah. and I miss some of the fluidity of the previous God of War games because of that. They bring some of that back when you get your Blades of Chaos, which was such an awesome moment. And we'll talk about the story, but like, oh, yeah, so great. The journey back home and like the ominous music, Athena showing up again and um, Atreus is not with him. He's like on his own at that moment and he goes back and he gets them and he ties them back around, symbolizing, of course, all of the pain and suffering he had gone through and... The life he was attempting to reject and now he has to go back to and back to that well in order to take care of his family take care of his son and um, survive this new journey so all of that's awesome and getting the Blades of Chaos too was like yes because God of War has always been unique in that respect like what other character in anything but even in video games has uh chain swords that they're like whipping around like he does you know Like the twirl move and everything like that's just so distinctly God of War. So at the start of the game with the axe, that was a big leap for me. Actually, it was like, oh, like, okay, this is just not the same game. Like it's just a new combat, new setup entirely. I just have to accept that and enjoy it for what it is. And I did. They had a lot of nuance to it. The axe feels so great. Actually, I think I prefer the feeling of the axe in this game to yeah. the Blades of Chaos.
1: I know, I did, yeah.
0: Yes, because it feels like it was built for it. But at the same time, it's not quite what the Blades of Chaos were in the previous game. So, like, there's a there's a bit of a trade-off to it. But it does feel good. And getting the Blades of Chaos later, too, is just, like, such a fun moment. And you do get that God of War thing of, like, multiple weapons. That's another God of War thing. So, you have that, which is awesome. And... Big surprise too. I was very surprised by it. So it, it all works out in the end. But that being said, even even in that, like you can tell, limited, limited. The Blades of Chaos don't feel the same. Uh, obviously, they adapted it for the new for for the new combat system, but um, they don't have the breadth of options and snagging and all the fun stuff that they have in the previous games. Yeah. And so the combat is definitely. I don't want to say it's an attraction but the fact that it's standard is in my mind a bit of a disappointment.
1: Yes, I think that I think the combat the combat is good in the ways that it's new, but any time it tries to go back to how things used to be, maybe as a callback to the fans or whatever else it fails and it will not live up to your expectations. And I think you nailed it kind of indirectly when you said that the reason that the waste indicators to determine when an enemy is coming at you are necessary is because it's that camera is so close. And the reason the blade of chaos worked, and in the first games, is because you're looking at him fighting from an arena perspective. That doesn't work in this game. The blades of chaos are had to, have to be considered an extension of uh, your third person self in this game and you you can't think of them the same way that you did in the first three games. They don't function. Yeah. They function similarly in that they have a wide-sweeping effect, but this game doesn't care about combos. So no. it's really, it's less about dancing and more about strategically singling out individuals and right. then working from weakest to strongest or even strongest to weakest, and that's so much easier to do with the axe. So it's really kind of like a... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for? It's a new combat system that doesn't favor the old ways of doing things. And to be honest, as I was playing this game, and I kind of like, you get to the point where you get the Blades of Chaos and then that you get a power up for them, which is fun. And then you get, and they're named after the Greek gods, which is another m- clashing of the the mythologies. And so it, essentially, I, I went through a gameplay r- loop where I would wait for everything to cool down or recharge, which wasn't clear. Like my cool down the whole game like my strength was really high the whole game and my cooldown was like less than 15. And still, by the end of the game, like I'd be recharging my power moves very fast. So I was like, I don't know what cooldown means. That was another, it was just a stat that I was like, this is almost like Dark Souls in its vagueness. I don't get it. <laughs> um, and, and that was, the cooldown was one of them. But the, the combat with the new camera angle and the weight definitely favors the axe. Um, it's so much easier to use the, the axe instead of the blades so it certainly is. And I think this is setting up for a really nice story moment in which the Blades of Chaos are perhaps destroyed possibly or given mm. up or something in which Kratos actually willingly and lovingly lets them go in favor of the new ways because he's tired of his past and there's such an emblem of his past and he only yeah. dug them up because he had to. But there's a beautiful moment and we'll we'll get to story in a second. So I'd, I'll actually save this moment towards the, for that. But But anyway, the combat... There there doesn't seem to be like why have a separate meter for status effects if the status effects don't seem to have any perceptible effect? Like
0: I mean they did on me.
1: They did <laughs> but, okay. So like maybe like if I'm you just, get burned. <laughs> I maybe I mean I, yeah, when you catch on fire, you catch on fire. That's a little that's a little obvious, yes. But like the I don't know. I guess just because it was so dodge heavy for me at least well dodge and block heavy and it was so easy to block some things that seemed to be like yeah. they sh- shouldn't have been able to be blocked like anytime you face an ancient that launches things out of its chest you can block that stuff and right. I, I was like which
0: i didn't realize because i was like oh that beam is so accurate like i keep getting just whacked by it so i guess i had to stand behind a tree and then i was like oh wait no i can just yeah hold l1 <laughs> yeah
1: yeah and so it's like kind of you know the combat for sure feels like it just needed more clarity like why have status effects if they don't affect everyone? Like, you can't really status effect a Valkyrie. It doesn't work. Like, it, it disappears mm. too fast. So the only status effect that you're really worried about is stun. So it's like, then it's damage and frost or flame and stun, depending on which weapon you're using. And so for me, I just kept selecting things that were the highest damage. I was just like, well, I, did, I just don't right. rely on status effects. It was another addition to the combat that didn't seem to be, like... I don't know necessary again it was like you i don't know just kind of it was just different it felt useless to me really i mean it was annoying when i got status affected but it didn't happen very often it was mostly just i get just either lost my hp or not that was it um there's no now, depth to it yes it really didn't feel like there was any depth to it now the game shines in two specific areas and it's not really like Boss fights; those are fun because they kind of are a callback to the old God of War way of doing things, which is press a specific button at a specific time at the right moment. And like in the cinematics, especially that was great, you know. Or or when you got smacked by a character and you had to like, I don't know, just do things. That was that was a good way of using the callback. Just like smash square here, smash triangle here, whatever else. But the combat excels in the trials of uh, Muspelheim. That is absolutely where they excel. Mm-hmm. That's that's the bomb diggity, and they also excel in the Valkyrie fights. Um, those absolutely. are flawless, nearly flawless, mm-hmm. and um, they're so. You have to be quick. You have to be so quick, and uh, not as much strategic, but just fast reflexes using Atreus right. the correct way. That was the pinnacle of their combat, and anything. If if you're playing, if you as a game dev are playing the Valkyrie fights and you're noticing that you're not using something, remove it. You don't you don't need it because the Valkyrie fight is the best way to show you what's essential in the combat. And there are just some things that just like you just don't you don't need or you don't use. They're they're superfluous. So there was yeah certainly a couple things the 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 vagueness on stats and like when and where to use them and status effects were. I don't know, just tedious to me. But other than that, the combat is visceral and it feels great. And that axe, especially the the executioner's cleave, is chef's kiss. It's fantastic.
0: Yes, yes, and the axe too. When you catch it, like just has this such satisfying thunk. Like you get that like Thor hammer vibe that you always wanted, and you actually like every time too that you catch it just feels so good. So like there's definitely a lot going. Well, with the combat, I I made it sound like it's all middling, but especially when you get to Valkyries, like that one on one, like it was meant for that sort of setting, yes, with another master swordsman or whatever it may be. Like, that's what this combat system was built for. It's not as intuitive when you've got all kinds of people you're trying to juggle, but at the same time, there is a way to get good at that. And you can start to see that show off and those skills get shown off at Muspelheim as well. So like it does have those like moments of where things get to the point where you're good enough at it, that you're able to really get into a flow and understand how to pick things apart. Like it has that other end of the curve, but it still has those middling things, including just kind of like uh, the fact that you're forced to be in a particular direction and, um which at the same time like yes your 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 camera is too close You don't ever have a moment, and I really wish that they had this. Like, I just really wish they had a couple moments where it did just pull back just Mm -hmm. enough where you could start to swing around. Because that happens in the old games a lot. Like, you could see at the beginning of God of War, even. Like, you start your combat, and the game immediately zooms out so that you can see all of Gaia, but you're still down there swinging your sword, you know? Like, I wanted a couple moments like that, and the way that the camera worked in this game made me think that they would do something like that. Sure. And they didn't. No. Um,. But there's a trade off with it in that, yes, you're going to not have the full field, the battlefield sometimes. And yes, they kind of cheat with an indicator around your waist. But one on one battles feel so epic because of its intimacy, really. Like, is what comes down to it. Like, you can have the scale of zooming out and seeing Gaia and Poseidon battling in the background while you're trying to slash some skeletons. But then you also have this up-close, personal, brutal fight with a Valkyrie or with Baldir or with a troll, like, whatever it may be. And you're just, like, it feels so epic by the time you get to the end. And when you get that R3 indicator where you can pull off that final move, like, it all pays off. And the camera just, like, does its wonderful thing of showing off, like, the best angle of that moment there while also still keeping it nice and tight and close. Yes. Like it it feels like nothing else like it it really does in that respect like the the trade-off is the the epic intimacy uh for what used to be just candy scale like uh, eye candy scale yeah um so there's a trade-off good and bad yeah and in its own right, the combat system is not one to, to write off, certainly. Where the, I look forward where, to seeing, though, how they adapt it for the yes, next one.
1: Yes, I think they can perfect it, certainly. And one of the ways that they nail combat is in Spartan Rage, for sure. And also... Um, for sure, yeah. That's a super visceral, and FX out the wazoo. That's just good stuff, dude. To pummel really, someone... Really, the bare handed
0: combat in general was... Dude,
1: it's a great, surprisingly it's a great way. Surprisingly great, that, what And that's how you do... So, like, listen that to me makes the most sense. Three, you know, three status effects, right? Elemental, stun, and just pure damage, right? Just pure slash off your HP. And if you want to have like a status effect, you need to have Atreus line up with that. The fact that he only does stun damage or electric damage to me doesn't make sense. Um, Like if you want to, make status effects a significant part of your combat you need to have atreus who's your right hand man do that for you other than that you just have flame and frost like it, it's like i don't know you just need you need i guess well now that i think about it if you have flame and you have frost and he has electricity i guess that makes sense and he has stun. so whatever what am i talking about i don't know but but the the use of atreus and some of this stuff um I liked a lot. Everything about Atreus' combat was a great addition. It felt natural, it felt fluid, it felt strategic. Um, And the barehanded, the fact that I can do stun damage that's additional because I'm using barehanded, makes me want to throw my axe and then go punch someone in the face. And that's the the most intimate and best use of the third-person camera being so close. That's fantastic. There's nothing better feeling in the game than that. And your fights with Baldur, who's almost like, um, if you were to put Conor McGregor in a video game, are fantastic. <laughs> those those fist fights you have with him are great. Yes. I, every time I fought him, I put my sword away. I was like, I want this to be even. Heck yeah. We're gonna we're gonna beat the snot out of each other, and it's gonna be fantastic. Yeah,
0: dude. Balder fights. Yeah, nothing like them. Honestly, that was what in this. First game like sealed the deal for me was the very first Balder fight. I was like, okay, this game's awesome. <laughs> like this game's amazing. Like it delivered on superhero scale. Yes. In while also using the the close camera in a way that no other game has, not yeah. even previous God of War games. Like yeah. And there's some fun moments in previous God of War games, but nothing like that first Balder fight and the others as well, but that first one really, like, set the tone, and you get that, oh, just so many good moments where he, like, he, he's so disappointed that you can't injure him, and so he says, my turn, and turns, and, like, gives you a big old whack where before he had just, like, obviously been holding back, um, man, and then you just, you're just throwing mountains at each other and causing the earth to break in half, and you're just, like, these two behemoth monsters, like, going at it, and it is so freaking good. Like, that was the Superman moment that I wanted in a Superman game, and I got it here in God of War, so...
1: Yeah, the pinnacle of God of War is reached in the first, you know, 5, 10 minutes of the game, to be honest. Um, I
0: I agree. I honestly do.
1: Yeah, the second Baldur fight is a little disappointing, Um, and, you know, that is what it is. You're really only dealing with, you know... And Baldur is great because he is lore adjacent, kind of similar to like, he's the same effect on you that Zagreus does. Cause you're like, who's Zagreus? So when Balder shows up, you're like, who's Balder? And then you get to beat right. the snot out of him. And that's good stuff all the way around. Cause
0: it. he's not in the Marvel movies.
1: <laughs> Correct. Exactly. Exactly. basically, <laughs> Yeah. And you just don't know who he is and, and all this stuff. And, and fighting the Aesir gods, painting them as the barbarians of the North is such, it was so well done. Like all around the way that they, they portray the landscape and the lore and the background is fantastic. And giants and dwarves and dark and light elves and stuff, like the way that they kind of bring that all together, I thought was great. Um, I, I really enjoyed all of that. I liked the lore. Did, do you, um, were you satisfied with the amount of lore that you got, all the shrines, all the background yeah. information? Tell me about it, Josh. Did you, did you enjoy that more than you enjoyed the Greek stuff? Because I know I did.
0: Oh, I don't know if I enjoyed it more than the Greek stuff. There's something about my inner child that just loves pummeling Hercules' face into meat that you just can't. I mean, I I don't know if I feel the same way about Thor. I just don't. Um, So I don't know. Those older games, though, like, this is a totally different tone and how it's even approaching this pantheon, you know? Like, the older games are very much, like, they're in the early 2000s. It's in that era of just, like, American culture where the... The conservatives really, through Ronald Reagan in the 80s and 90s, had had a huge surge, and going into the 2000s, the liberals were starting to get some headway, and they started to flaunt a little bit, like, against traditional morality, and that was really what God of War was, like, it was a hyper-violent, hyper-sexual, flagrant, you got this angry like, basically angsty teen, you could say, of in Kratos, who just is, like, inflicting rage upon everything. And so, like, he's from that era. He's over the top. He's just kind of a ridiculous guy. And that means all of the enemies in the game are as well. Like, Zeus is just evil for the sake of being evil. And, like, there's no nuance to what's going on in the story. Uh, it's just betrayal left and right and murder. And, of course, he hunts them all down whatever. And now you have... With this game 2018 the cultures changed the great awakening has started people are starting to get to the point too as gamers where they're 40 50 they're older you know and so they're looking for something with more maturity with more nuance and they get to take that into Norse mythology so in that respect the lore really does resonate in a way that the Greek lore did not and i i wish that they almost gave the same treatment to that greek setting but it's just, you know, it is what it is. And in that respect, though, yeah, with the with the Norse mythology, I love that the gateway into all of it is Atreus. He's a child of two opposite worlds, and he only knows the one. And so he's teaching Kratos. Like, he at one point asks him, like, hey, I can show you how to write these runes. Um, and he knows his languages. He can read the things. So, like, a, a lot of the lore is through him and stories that his mother told him, and he's telling that to Kratos as they're on the the lake or um, as they're walking to the next objective. And the delivery of that is awesome. The storytelling is great. You got Mimir a little later, too, who kind of fills in some of those gaps. Um, the portraits and whatnot of what happens in the lore. Like, they do a really good job of just putting you in the Norse world um, and doing it in a way that's unabashed that... They don't feel the need to make all these references to the Greek stuff. They do, obviously, and the ties are there. And that also, lore-wise, once you get past the regional gods thing, like I said, does work and is satisfiable to a longtime fan like me who played God of War three when it came out. And at the end, he walked away with a giant hole in his body because he had stabbed himself with the um, with Zeus's sword. And you don't know what's going to happen. You just see a bloody trail. You know, you you don't know how they're going to resolve that. You don't know what the next tale is going to be. Are we going to see Kratos go to Hades for a third time? Because he's gone at every single game thus far, which I appreciate, too. And this one that they like they mentioned Helheim and he's like, I've not been to this hell, <laughs> but I have been to one. Yes. Um, so like stuff like that, like little references and small things like that really work tying the things together. And then they really do deliver on the Norse stuff. Like, I honestly learned quite a bit about Norse mythology from right. this game, right. which is what you want. Yes. That's what you want. So they did a great job.
1: You posed the question. There's a logical uh, There's a logical progression that I think they went through in development. They said, listen, we're going change, to change it up. Where's the next best place he could go? Well, the next most familiar is Norse mythology, Thor, Odin, all this stuff. Yeah. You know, the Marvel movies have already come out by then, so people were even more familiar with it. So like it's a good launching point. Everyone knows Greek, so why not? What's the next best thing? And so, you know, that makes sense. You know, Ragnarok is a term that people know what that means. It's specifically Norse. Um, and so it's a it's a great leap. But then it's like, okay, well, people know about it, but they don't know that much about it. And like right. so, like, how do we explore this? Well, we're gonna he's gonna have a son, so that's gonna be great for combat, but also Kratos, like is not going to care about exploration. He they, they distinctly right. write in there that he only cares about it in the sense that it helps them he's preparing his son, which is great. That actually fits perfectly. And also that anytime they can upgrade their equipment and get better, you know, he's that it's that soldier in him that you, you get to enjoy, you know. And so the exploration fits because he explains his reasoning for it and um, the lore fits because Atreus loves that stuff, and so you could take advantage of the fact that you have an additional side character um, who who is, you know, re- well a primary character really, Atreus, who is interested in that stuff because he's a child, he's a young boy, and you could take advantage of the fact that he's a young boy to further some of the plot lines that Kratos would not be interested in furthering at all because the first three games were just him killing stuff. In this game, you have to get Kratos, big tough guy, to care. How do you do that? Well, you take advantage of the reformatting, you take advantage of the relaunch, and Atreus is in there. You, there there's a gateway to depth that Atreus provides this game that was not possible with the tough guy act in the first three games. Yes. Um, so it's absolutely crucial, and I love the addition of the lore. I love lore. I'm the person who read books in Skyrim. <laughs> like, that's me, you know? So. So it's great, and I love the chance to learn about Norse mythology. And let's just get one thing straight. The v- the MVP of this whole game is Mimir. Like, his addition and his storytelling, the depth that he bring, like, hit him kind of taking an uncle role to Atreus and kind of trying to throw out morals to story, being apologetic for the mistakes that he's made in the past, making it clear, put words to the emotions that I think Atreus Kratos would like to speak and act upon, but doesn't feel comfortable doing so because what it was alluded to is that his wife did most of that with their boy. She's the one who taught him the, the Norse stuff while Kratos was away a lot. There's a part in the main storyline where Atreus says, You were out hunting all the time. And I, I didn't even see what you were, um, like, you know, what you were like. And so there's a crucial connection that has to be chosen between father and son that this game nails. And while they're at it, They take advantage of the fact that you don't know Norse mythology that well and show it to you in some of the best storytelling possible. Short snippets. And this leads me to just, I want to briefly mention this here because we're talking about story, but the the fast travel system is a constant self-loathing hatred battle in oneself as they play through an RPG. You hate to fast travel because you know that you're shortening the amount of time that you're playing this game because you're skipping steps. You're taking the long way around. Uh, you're taking the short way through instead, you know, kind of a cheat. And, and while like, you, you hate it, but you also know that it's necessary because you're, you're just on the next dopamine hit. Take me where I need to go, take me where I need to go. But this game forces you to slow down in the most enjoyable way possible by introducing lore in the moments of your travel. So either you're exploring around, you're trying to get to a destination, either fast travel or the long way around works because you're gonna get a story either way. When you take the fast travel through the world tree, Mimir tells a story. When you take the boat and you're trying to, you know, go from one point of the Lake of Nines to the other, Mimir tells a story. Atreus asks him a question, or Atreus asks him a question, and he answers with a story. It's the best way to do fast travel. They make it enjoyable all the way. It's the best fast travel system in the game that I've ever seen. Um, because it just deepens the game to that next level. It's awesome. Absolutely fantastic. And all, it's all very context-dependent. Like, different stories happen in different realms, and they're right. intentionally designed that way. Just the depth of the lore in the background is fantastic. and Yes, the, for sure. And it's again,
0: done in such a way, like, I, I found myself not docking. On the boat, just correct cause I me to hear too.
1: More. <laughs> yes, because he stops telling the story while you go do combatty things, and he says, "And we'll pick this up at another time." And you're like, "Wait, wait, wait! Get back in the boat because <laughs> I want to hear the story." Yes, absolutely, good stuff. And you know the characters, the side characters, and while the world does feel empty because there's no like, I don't know, at least in at least in the God of War games, you had people running around. Um, In this game, you know, you really only deal with like spirits and some side quest people and stuff like that, that's about it. It's really a very empty, creepy landscape. And I do think they do creepy really well. I think it adds to the, the vibe of the game. But that means that the quality of your side characters has to go up, because the quantity's not there. And Mimir, Brock, Sindri, Freya, oh my goodness. Some of the best voice acting I've ever heard in games. It's yeah. up there, it has yeah. to be up there in my top two. It's incredible. All of them. There's not a single character whose voice acting was trite or forced or fake or unenjoyable. All of them, A plus plus.
0: I agree. The yeah the the new actor for Kratos 2 had a lot running like not running but like on his on his oh, shoulders yeah. here. Like he needed. Is it to a different person? I actually thought deliver. it was the same dude. Not the same guy. Yeah, no, different wow. guy. They. They got a new actor to, of course, be the aged Kratos, and then they have the new young actor in Atreus, and both of them just are amazing as a duo. And you need them to be for the game to work, but they they do it. Like, they do it really well, and so this whole game is a journey that you almost don't want to end because you're just getting so much out of every moment, like between atreus and kratos you have that major dynamic of course and it just tells you everything you need at the start of the game when um he shoots his first deer and they like go over to it and um, atreus is like trying to i can't remember what he's doing but he's like down and, and kratos is behind him and he like reaches out to him like to put his hand on his shoulder and he just stops like hesitates and then just, like, puts it down. Yes. And it's like, that tells you yes. everything yes. you need to know yes. about this pair. And then from there, they continue on their arcs. They make them grow as characters. Atreus has a super annoying phrase. But, like, nonetheless, like, they, they as obviously, like, cold toward each other, family, like, blood relatives, like, are, are now forced on this journey together about something they care about in unity yeah and because of that like you see them grow together as well and it's not all good there's ups and downs but like that core story is delivered by two actors that like had a lot that they could have done wrong and they didn't and for that reason like this game transcends gaming in a lot of ways oh yeah Um, and it's in that story that for that focus that main plot and then it is expanded upon with the other guys as well i mean the little dwarves are so funny, both of them in their own different ways and you you do wonder how in the world they would ever get along and it does make perfect sense that they're not together and then you see that of course uh, over the course of the game uh, change and that relationship change. and of course, you got all with Freya and all the difficulties there and the just the development like there's nothing here that feels like it's not worth being there. Yes. And none of it, yes. Like, and none of it too is is done in a way that is, I don't know, like, forced or yes, feels correct. like you're just doing it correct. to add to the length of the story yes. or anything. It's like, oh no, yes. this all feels like it needs to be there in this sequence. Yes. Like, this feels valuable, and so, and that's with all the characters almost. Like, I can't think of one that would be an exception, except for maybe the giant lizard snake. Um, because he has no development but whatever um yeah so story-wise i i mean i don't even know what to say about this game like that's where this transcends to me beyond like i look at this and i i show this game off and i'm just like how like how could you say like how could you see this and think this is a game like that even is enjoyable at all on the combat side of things and the gameplay side of things like It looks like they're so focused on the cinematics that like all that would be detracted from. But nope, they have both. And it's a it's as gamey as a game can be. But it transcends the presentation side of what games are to a level that um, I've not seen topped, at least in my opinion.
1: Yes, Um, very. And they set the bar very high. You know, combat trim the fat, but with the lore and all that stuff, give me more. Uh, hey, that rhyme. That was funny. Um, so <laughs> there's a the, you know, I did not expect Kratos's past to come into the story the way that it did, but they really just send the point home that Kratos is trying to bury his past. Yes. He certainly understands the utility of some of these things, he understands that what he did was necessary in many ways, but Kratos. Big tough guy can't put his hand on his son, despite wanting to. And there's the, there's a battle inside all of us, men and women alike. When it Kratos can face down and look in the eyes Zeus and tell him he's going to kill him, but he can't look Atreus in the eye when he says you're a god boy. He has yeah, to turn yeah. away and look away and say you're a god boy, and that's all there is to it. And I can't hide the, keep the secret from you anymore. And the best moment, the best moment of the game is in Tears Vault. When Kratos desperately, the most emotional he gets in, in, in the game, tells Atreus that he needs to be better than Kratos. Better. Yeah. All good fathers, all great fathers have a deep, deep yearning for their sons to be better than them. And this this moment brought tears to my eyes to watch. This moment specifically. And And, and then they cap it all off with just a mere two minutes later when I laughed out loud because Kratos brings out this wine that he has that's been aging for a long time, and Atreus thinks it tastes nasty, and Kratos <laughs> has, like, the tiniest, the tiniest upturn of a smile, and he looks at his son, who just tried this wine, and, and he, he goes, ah, like, that's what you're supposed to do after you drink the wine, and oh, my goodness. Just this, the father-son stuff in this game is un. Paralleled. And I yes. haven't... The only game that I'm expecting to be even close to this is um, The Last of Us, that 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 dynamic there. And if you... Do you think that's better or this game is better?
0: This game. Okay, 1,000%. so there you go. So this
1: is 1,000%. by far the best parent-son dynamic and in a world in which 2018, when this game was created, in a world of, you know, Jordan Peterson becoming the, the father of the fatherless on the internet in 2016 mm. when he rose to fame, and throughout 2017, and Joe Rogan being a major major political or and cultural mentor to a lot of young men especially, Kratos does not fall short. In so many of the, the storytelling and the dialogue, he's right up there with some of the best father figures I've ever seen, and he's working through his weaknesses, and he's doing so in a way that says you can be a dangerous beast and a good father, and it's tremendous. It's It's just, it's the best. It's absolutely the best.
0: What did you think of, like, the revelation that Atreus was Loki at the end and some of the other revelations there at the end?
1: I guess that's okay. I was like, I don't know. (laughs) I would have rather, yeah, I would have rather he been his own unique thing. Mm -hmm. Um, I don't know. Yeah, well, not necessarily. Like, I mean, I guess Kratos is, for better or worse, he's in Greek mythology, right? But also, like... No, he's...
0: Technically, no. There's no Kratos character outside of the games.
1: Okay, okay. Then then yes, like Kratos. Yes. Uh, the fact that they're trying to force him into the Loki character, I just felt like... I don't know. It just didn't hype me up. I was like, okay, well, whatever. I don't know. I guess. That's fine. Whatever. It just feels like... Okay. If you're going to take... Like, Loki is such a key character... Because of the connection to Asgard and the Giants, which is always a source of tension throughout this whole game between the Giants right, and Odin, right. the Giants and Odin, the Giants and Odin, and Odin being the bully and all this different stuff, and you know, um, it, all all of that. I, I don't know. I just felt like it was too much. It was trying to th- name drop too much. <laughs> I suppose is what I thought. So I was like, okay, whatever. I was that just, was, it was yeah.
0: definitely a name drop. <laughs> right,
1: right, yeah. It was like shock value.
0: And you get that Thor name drop and the Odin name drop, of course, throughout the game. But yeah, you don't hear Loki at all until the very end. Um, so curious about that. How yeah. about like the revelation that like it turned out Baldir was there to see his wife and not Kratos. Like he was not. He had no clue who Kratos was. He had no interest in that. He yeah. wanted to get to the Giants. Like that was his focus. Right. Yeah. And no, so it, I... it. Like what do you think of that?
1: That made sense. That made perfect sense. And Freya being the runaway wife of Odin, that made a lot of sense. I loved everything except for the Loki. And I didn't hate the Loki thing. I just thought it was like, meh, whatever. But the the whole Baldur motivation for being there and and uh, his wife being in the the protector of the giants. And it's explained, like, it's not hammered home, but it's explained that giants don't always have to be big. Like, they are a lot of the times. Right, it's, They don't right. have to be big. So that was cool. Like, it was kind of like, I'm a giant and a god and i'm loki i don't know you can only be so lucky so but but the uh but certainly uh, i thought all of the characters and their motivations for doing things were well explained for the most part and, yeah. and yeah. completely believable in every single sense um i think
0: as a narrative this game has no peer near um,
1: flawless i really can't in think the of gaming downside. industry yes yeah totally totally
0: so so that's where this game like it goes leaps and bounds beyond others um and it is one of the greatest games ever made in my opinion is because of all that um yeah. what was your favorite like cinematic moment
1: oh the opening one the fight with balder definitely okay
0: outside of that outside of that we did establish that that is definitely yes the best you said it, the game peaks in the first 10 minutes <laughs> so yeah, it really um, does but outside um, of that any any well, other moments
1: all of the cinematic moments between Kratos and his son where they're trying to connect or Kratos specifically is trying to reach out because Atreus knows that his father is the alpha. So the, it's in, the impetus is on the alpha to, to reach and to extend the hand, right? Atreus cannot force the emotions out of his father. So he has to wait for them to show up. And so the father-son moments where, you know, Kratos is genuinely concerned that his son will die of illness and this is all going to be for naught. So he's, Freya! open the door and he's pacing on the elevator. You never see him like that. So those moments are tremendous. But there's a the, specifically the moment in the elevator where he tells his son he's going to be better than him, as well as all of the like they they flip the temple upside down. That's funny and great. But also when they get to the land of the giants, Kratos takes off his bandages because he has nothing more to hide. That's a beautiful moment as well. All of the, all of the mm. scenes between father and son the the animation for Kratos's face specifically were captivating. You just wanted to see every little microcosm of emotion come out of this tough guy's face, and they pulled it out ever so delicately and with such grace and such poise. It's it's flawless. It really is. I other than the bother fight is cinematic. I mean, the snake was cool. Yormengender, the eater of the world, and his travel through time yeah. that was cool. Um, also,
0: Loki's son, which doesn't make sense.
1: Yeah, yeah there's a lot going on um <laughs> no all the, why did you have a specific moment in mind other than that
0: um i mean i liked the dragon fight that was pretty cool yeah those and are in cool. the um uh, when you go to actually like go to the giant and get the chisel piece mm-hmm. that whole sequence was really fun like yes uh, obviously you got the giant scale of this statue giant thing and then they got like, they're scaling it and trying to get the arm down, and, like, they have a couple moments where they, like, fall, and, like, everything's crashing around. Yeah. And then it ends, like, the end cap of it with both of Thor's sons coming at you. It was a really great boss fight, and was also like, oh, snap, like, I've heard of Thor, but here's his sons. What's going on here? Right. And yeah. then, you know, uh ends, obviously, brutally. Yeah. And and Freya animating a lot of other crap later. <laughs>
1: yeah, Freya animating that giant corpse at the end was a cool touch to the boss scene. It wasn't necessarily like a, sure. a deal breaker or a game changer for me, but it was a cool touch.
0: Yeah, the final boss was truly I don't know what it was about it, but it didn't reach my expectations. Yeah,
1: maybe because the difficulty falls off or maybe cuz you level up by that point so much, I don't know but it definitely, i also think it yeah. is
0: because they they nail that first boss fight so freaking well yeah that they just don't top themselves again so yeah. like you're just like hoping that the final boss fight's going to be at that level and it's just not quite even though it has like the yeah the spectacle yeah yeah doesn't the, quite hit the same way
1: the first time you see Baldur, you have nothing but your fist that you're used to right like I mean I mean you have the fist and kind of your axe and and that's really it. That's there's no after you know but the last boss fight you got combo moves and special moves and you know how to use right. Atreus and you know it's so it's much less visceral and much more just standard role play really at that point. And Baldur's moveset doesn't change. It's the same thing. He kind of rushes it. Yeah, yeah. So it definitely can't live up to itself because you've changed as a character. You've changed in your combat. Um but certainly the cinematic touches are cool. I, I was, um, I would say that the culmination, the best boss fight is definitely the Valkyries, by far. And I just want to more oh, yeah. from that background. Oh, yeah. And when you finally pair all eight Valkyries and then you face Sigrun and she blasts out of that realm tear and takes you by the face, like what an incredible... That, to me, was the best boss fight, by far. Like, by, by far. Um, and that's so interesting. If I had to... So, if I'm just gonna, I'm just gonna say, lay this out there. We're at two hours almost in this podcast. I'm gonna lay this out there. The best way to play this game is to advance the story immediately, like as much as you possibly can. Advance the story up until you get the Winds of Helheim. Once you get the Winds of Helheim and you have the Blades of Chaos, then do all of your exploring. And and um, here's why, because the exploration is intensely. High density affair, very high mm-hmm. density. There's a point, and this is another reason why I think you should trim the fat a little bit. There's treasure maps. Part of the, you pick up treasure maps. You press square. It's obviously like a little marker. You tell Atreus to pick up this map. He's like, "It's a treasure map! Yay! It's exciting!" Right. And then you find that treasure on accident. You really don't even have to look at the map. It just <laughs> seriously no. though, you'll 100% like
0: 100 correct.
1: You'll walk through this area, and because the exploration is so dense, like you're gonna do. You're gonna free the dragon at the same time that you find uh, an unlocked item and do a dwarven side quest. Like it's all like the the map is so small. Uh, well, I mean it's big, but like it feels small because of the way that they do it. the The water level drops twice, and so like the way things just I don't know go about exploration absolutely needs to be done later on so you can kind of like um uh sync not synchronize um. I don't know. Kind of You'd make just it more be efficient. able to get everything yeah. done that you
0: want to exactly along the way. Otherwise, like if you, you don't to, go with your blades yeah. of chaos, then you're going to come across some hell's bramble that you're not going to be able to burn. Exactly. And that's just yeah. So that makes perfect sense to me. I think, and that's more
1: nice. infuriating than it is fun. Like you don't like you. You only yeah. Own. You don't want to have to go through yes. that area
0: again. Yes, because so they're not that enjoyable. Yes. Yes. Yeah, and they aren't. They really aren't. No, you're right totally right i love the and that's perhaps where i could see that unfinished point that you yes. said as well yes. fitting in
1: yeah it's a vibe really that i i get that the, now the brilliance of the fact that this snake is so huge that he's unlocking new areas for you to explore when he you know rolls over in his sleep is absolutely brilliant it's really that's a great, great yeah. idea but that It is kind of tedious because each area that you explore is often very small. Like beachheads are tiny. They have like one thing to do in them and then a couple loot to pick up or whatever else. And that that's kind of it. And the, the, the travelers are a great touch. They're kind of like a mid-tier boss somewhere in the middle. Those are fun. The first time you encounter them, they're very difficult. And then by the end, they're kind of like a standard middle-level baddie. And that's a lot of fun. Um, but certainly exploration could be lacking. It could be cinched up, definitely, and certainly, I don't know, if you're going to have multi-layered exploration, you need to give me more than just a chest to go back to in specific Mm -hmm. areas. You definitely need more, and you need to, like, more spirits, more realm terrors, more things, like, just more and more and more. Unlock, and I feel like it kind of did that in a sense, but at the same time, the exploration—the second time when the water dropped a second time, and then again when I finally got the winds of Helheim for the blades—that's only when the exploration. I was like, "Oh man, I should have waited." I was too—I was too RPG happy when I started playing this yeah. game. I thought it was going to be more RPG, and then um, other than that, the area in the house—the house when you pass through that house and you get to Freya—there is really no going back there, other than for Odin's hidden stuff. That's it. Like it's kind of a useless area after that. So oh and while we're on the topic, the music. Very okay. underwhelming. Very underwhelming.
0: Other than Yeah, you got the like basic Kratos and that's yep. like that played it. over and over and over and over.
1: I need bigger moments. The best music moments of this game are when you're viscerally tearing the wings off of the Valkyries in sad, ominous you know, but also climatic music, and in that moment when you finally beat this, and you're like, oh, relief, but it's also tear jerking and teeth clenching. Like those are the best music moments, and it's just not loud enough. I was like, I should turn my mm. music up. But other than that, like, it's just more about the dialogue than the music. So, and that's fine if that's going to be your priority. That's fine. But I felt like the music in the first three games was much better.
0: Yeah, they're they're uh, more iconic for sure. Yeah, what you'd find in this one yeah game world you mentioned and kind of briefly talked through i'd say there's definitely some things they could improve there um as a final thought i honestly think we've covered everything else obviously this game is beautiful okay Mm -hmm. so detailed the rippling muscles on kratos like we didn't say that explicitly but you must know that okay you cannot look at this game and not see its beauty oh yeah um Triple A holds up. Whew. I can't. I can't wait to see how Ragnarok approves on it. Yeah. Um,
1: and it's it, but, again with the yeah. dialogue. The the best part of this game is definitely going to be the father son stuff by far, and the animation on his face and all that different stuff. But it's also like additionally, it's silly where it needs to be silly, and and strong and emotional where it needs to be strong and emotional. It, really it never has feels some, forced. Yes, it has some serious tact and wisdom in the relationship. There's a moment in which um, Atreus asks Mamir about the dwarf brothers, and he says, these dwarf brothers, I mean, they once created an unbreakable chain out of a cat's footstep and, a, and bird spit. And Atreus is like, that doesn't even make sense. And he's like, well, listen, you're, you're the one talking to a severed head. <laughs> so it's like, it's fantastic. <laughs> the dialogue by far is 5 out of 5, 10 out of 10, A+++, all the way around. I um, love
0: that Mimir just like becomes your companion. Oh like, yeah, such a great. <laughs> I did way, not yeah. expect that, but yes. it does work really well, and he ends up adding a lot to it.
1: Oh yeah. Yeah, so any final gripes or is that your final note? No, that was, those were my final notes. Music's a little underwhelming and uh, certainly my biggest point is that it just needs to trim up some of the fat for sure. Um, but okay. the combat, especially the bare-fisted and the way they do that is visceral and very satisfying. It just needs to be simplified, I think. Like just return a little bit to your God of War roots with the simplification of your combat a little bit. Um, and every. But I mean for the most part, pretty darn flawless. Like I said, the lowest score I'd give this game is an 8 out of 10. Um, Jared
0: Benson. God of War, 8 out of 10. <laughs>
1: lowest. To the lowest like, you're I'm killing I'm going to make me. that a timestamp. The, lo- <laughs> the lowest score it would be. <laughs> 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 totally take me out of context. <laughs>
0: Sorry. Um, yeah, I, 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 I don't have very much else to add. I think this is a near perfect game in a lot of ways, and I love it. I was thoroughly enjoying my second playthrough, which I was not expecting, uh, in preparation for this particular podcast. And now I'm hyped for the for the sequel. So, final decision: Is this a Hall of Game candidate, Jared? What do you say?
1: Absolutely, absolutely.
0: All right, I agree. Kachunk, another entry into our Hall of Games. Jared, we're going to have to check out some of those Nintendo announcements that happened. Uh, When those games come out, I saw that Fire Emblem is getting its sequel. I'm sure that made you so excited. Um, So perhaps a game we'll cover in the future uh, just to torture you and to um, reject another Fire Emblem game. Uh, But nonetheless, thank you for listening. This has been Bard's Backlog, episode number 29. Uh, Be sure to tell someone about us if you felt like you enjoyed the episode or if you think that they could benefit from it. Thank you for uh, taking the time to listen. Of course, we have other episodes with more in-depth conversations. We alluded to several. Go check those out as well. I hope you agree with our decision, and if you don't, tell us why. Jared, final question for you. I just got to know. What was your favorite god kill in God of War 3? God of War
1: 3? Yeah. Ooh, that's a tough one. They're all so brutal. Um, (laughs) Probably, I mean, Poseidon was pretty cool. The fight, I guess. Um, No, the Zeus fight, probably, yeah. The final Zeus fight was really cool. Uh, Very cinematic as well as like, kind of a combination, and the 2D thing that they did, they kind of stuck you on a yeah. way like that was really cool. I like that touch. I was like, "Ooh, this is like injustice a little bit. A little a little bit yeah. of mortal combat almost." So I I really like that. So definitely the Zeus fight.
0: And you can just pummel him as long as you want at the end.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, good pick. Good pick. I used to have a save file before every single boss fight in that game. And I just have friends over and I just show them to them.
1: <laughs> really? That's so cool. That's
0: so funny. Yeah, 100%. Because they were like, I loved every single one. I think my personal favorite is the Hercules fight. That one feels very Dude, satisfying. Yes. Just because he's so like, he, he's obviously bigger, but like, he's just like flaunting how he's better than Kratos at the beginning of it. Yeah. Um, and you like systematically take him apart. But the like. Sheer coldness and brutality of when he takes out um, Hermes. Yeah, that was
1: tough. Helios, you mean? (laughs) Or Hermes? Which one?
0: No, Hermes. Both of them. (laughs) Yeah, the Helios. I was thinking Hermes when he chops his leg off. Yeah, they're both. Because he just like casually picks him up, chops his legs off because he wants his boots and then yeah. just walks away yeah. and lets him bleed out. And
1: the Helios thing carrying his head around. My goodness. <laughs> yeah,
0: that one's also, he just grabs his head and rips it off. <laughs> <Jeez>. Great game. <laughs> anyway, had to ask. Um, this is the video game bard. We'll see you guys next time we record. Not sure what episode that's going to be quite yet. we got a lot of options, so we'll have to decide that. But until then, this is the video game bard and his cohort, no longer the casual, but <laughs> the, um, Jared, you should be, oh, I thought of one earlier and now, now it's escaping me. You're the mercenary, the mercenary, Interesting, Jared Benson. And I'm all right, proper
1: here. gamer now, laddie. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Not quite gamer yet. You're oh, mercenary okay. status. All right, okay, cool. You're right. You're right there. though. Right there. All right. See you guys.